Okay. God is good and so is salad. Yes, 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 yes. Um, for the sake of time, I'm going to cut off my whole entire intro, which was just, just go ahead and know it was really funny. Um, and it was really good. Uh, but somehow these services that we don't have, that we don't have, you can do it anytime you preach. Just be like, I'm just going to cut it off for time, but it was really good, guys. Come on in. It's good. Um, so it's been 40 years since uh, he killed somebody on his first missions trip. Uh, 40 years to consider all the what ifs. He's now a uh, shepherd with a wife and a kid, at least one, if not a few. Uh, Moses has changed a little bit since we last saw him as a baby floating down the river being adopted into the house of Pharaoh. And so last week we talked about Exodus 1, and you only missed, if you missed a week, you only missed a chapter, but it's a pretty big one, uh, because in that one, God hears the cries of his people and begins his plan of gracious redemption to rescue his people out of bondage where they'd been for 400 years. And so uh, a man and a woman, they're Levites, they have a baby, the baby's raised at home for three months, and then after three months, that baby gets uh, put in a basket, floated down the river, which was not child abuse, that was actually the way to save the baby, and it avoided all the crocs, all the rocks, and made it to the shore where Pharaoh's daughter found him, brought him in, and then he got raised by his mom for a little bit, then raised up in the household of Israel, uh, or I mean in Pharaoh. And what we're going to miss in this story is the fact that there was a brief little bit of time when he's about 40 years old that he goes out and he sees uh, some guy beaten on one of the Hebrew people. And so like all good uh, people, he kills him um, and buries him in the desert. And so he buries him in the desert, and then the next day he's going about, and he's having these two other guys in a fight, and he's like, hey guys, break it up, break it up, break it up. And they're like, wait a second, uh, what are you going to do if we don't? You're going to kill us and bury us in the desert? Uh, and then Moses, right, this one who was anointed by God, who was called out of the river, who was rescued on that very first missions trip that we reared about, where he went to go do what he thought God wanted him to do, uh, rescue his people, uh, he kills a man and then runs off into the desert, where he's a shepherd for 40 years. So Moses now... 80 years old, on the backside of a desert, had plenty of time to consider the what-ifs. I had plenty of time to wonder, wait a second, did I get this wrong? Wait a second, uh, I thought that I was supposed to. What if I had done things differently? Would I still be in the palace? Would I still be? Would I, would I, would I? And that's where our boy is. And so the very first uh, thing I want us to see is I was trying to figure out what to name this teaching. And the first one I came up with, God is patiently present and graciously pursuing his people, which is true in this text. Uh, if you're into these ones, though, the second one is how to get God angry, which is also true in this text. Uh, we're going with the first one on the podcast, but the second one, it's in there. Um, just wait for it. But I'm going to read through this text and give us six different anchor points because it's pretty long for us to see uh, how we often respond when God calls us into something. Uh, this is a story, a text that in one way is so far-fetched for us, like God is probably, probably never going to call you to be the one through whom he rescues millions of people, personally leading them out of Egypt uh, and in through the wilderness and to the promised land to be the people of God for that moment. He probably won't do that. But this story is so personal for each of us. It's part of God moving his great grand story along, this story of promise and covenant and blessing and rescue. He's, he's doing that, of forming this people to be a new humanity where Adam and Eve had failed. He's doing that. But what I want us to see tonight is that he's doing it through people, and he is patient and kind as he works with Moses uh, in this story. And the first 
thing that I wanted us to see is that sometimes God's timing is different than our timing. Moses went to do the work that he set to do, to be an agent of restoration, of rescue, but he did it through violence, and that was not the way that God had invited him to do it. It wasn't the time when God had invited him to do it. And so that first 40 years, then he goes out in the desert to learn a few things. He learned a whole lot of things in Pharaoh's house, how to lead an army, all the math he needed, all the history he needed, what all the pagan gods were. He learned all sorts of things about leadership. But maybe in the desert, God was teaching him faith. And you don't learn that in school. You learn that through practice. You learn that through trusting God, relying on his voice, and then acting as he invites so sometimes our timing doesn't line up with God's, but God still graciously pursues us even when we get it so wrong, like Moses did in that story. We're gonna keep reading, and we're gonna keep going, and the anchor for this one is sometimes uh, the work ahead seems bigger than the God who goes with us. Um, the story starts off like this, and I'm going to read it with some interjections. Uh, 3.1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there an angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that the bush was on fire, but it did not burn. So Moses thought, I'm going to go over there and see what this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. God comes and reveals himself, says, this is who I am. You've heard the stories of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and I'm that God now showing up to you. Had him take off his sandals because it was holy ground. Uh, it was a space to be present with God. And when we're in God's presence, there's something beautiful that takes place there. And so one of the symbols that this was a different space was to take off his shoes. The story keeps going. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of the people of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because they're slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Pezzarites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way that Pharaoh oppresses them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people out of the Israelites out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And we'll stop there. Uh, first, second thing. No, go back. When the work seems bigger than the God who goes with us. Uh, sometimes this takes place. Hear this. Uh, Moses isn't just being a punk. Right? He's not just being like a scaredy cat, like, oh, you don't want to do this. Oh, that's such a weird thing. Like, I wanted you to go across and make a loaf of bread and bring it over to your neighbor's house, and you won't do that. Like, though sometimes that's where we punk out on God, right, when he calls us to do the little things. But this thing that he just said was, hey, go to the most uh, oppressive nation, the, the family, the household that you know well. You know their military might. You know how much their economy depends on slave labor. You know how much they uh, beat those and oppress those and rule by violence. You know all that. You were in that house. I want you to go back and to lead my people out of that place. 
Think about systematic injustice that was taking place in that world. Think about the uh, economic injustice like we talk about, the spiritual darkness, the sheer weight of the command. You go and lead all these people who were probably right around in the millions at this point out of that place to the place I'm going to show you. Uh, go to your former family, the lineage that you came from, and tell them that you now follow God and bring him out. Sometimes the work seems bigger than the God who goes with us. Sometimes we look at it and we say, all right, God, like what you've called me into to see a neighborhood uh, transformed, to see my family experience life, like that works too big. I can't do that. Uh, to see a city transformed, to see a family of churches transformed, to see your business be about the common good and not just personal prosperity. There's tons of different things that God calls us into, and every single one of them will seem too big for us. It should. We don't possess the power. But God's call to Moses is to say, I'm going with you. He doesn't look at Moses and say, ah, oh, you're right, little buddy. Actually, you're really good. We really like you up here. We think you should go, and you're our favorite. He doesn't point to anything in Moses to say why he should go. He actually says, I'm going with you. Whatever it is that God has called you into, uh, the work may always seem bigger, but the God who goes with you is even greater. And that's right where God goes with Moses. Uh, this mission is not dangerous, not only for Moses, but also for the Israelites who had to act in massive civil disobedience if they were to follow Moses. Like you were going to real people and saying, all right, I want you to walk out on the masters who oppress you, who beat you, who have enslaved you. And we're gonna go out into the desert. You with me? It's fair when he says, uh, who am I for this job? And the answer is, who is God instead? Keep going. Chap, keep going, 3, 13 through 14. Moses, God says, I'll go with you. And then Moses says, and it's fair, but suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask, what is his name? All right, so you told me I'm supposed to go, and that's fair. But then you're telling me that you're going with me, but who are you? Like, like who are you? Who do I say is the one who sent me? And this, in chapter 14, it's so beautiful. In verse 14, right, it's so beautiful. He says, I, God says to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. Uh, a lot gets made of this, but here's the big deal. He's saying the uncreated creator, the self-sustaining sustainer, right? The one who made everything before everything, the one who was with their fathers that they've heard the stories about. He is the one sending him. Send him, I, tell him I am sent you. Again, this massive testimony that God says, you don't need to know more. You keep asking me things about this, but sometimes we think we need to know more in order to obedient, be obedient. Like, like, tell me more about this, God. I need more of the details. I need to fill in some more of the blanks. Will you go ahead and give me some more information because then I will be obedient. When we know very well what God has called us to do, and we know very clearly what he's inviting us into, and we know for sure, maybe sometimes, that he sent us somewhere, and we know what obedience looks like. Maybe it comes with generosity. Maybe it comes with relocation. Maybe it comes with staying put where you're at and you don't like it. But God calls you, and we say, wait, wait, I need to know some more of the details. And again, he says, 
Tell them I am sent you. He answers his question. He hears it. He sees him there present, and he's still with him in this, right? We are not validated by our extensive understanding of the intricacies of scriptures, but we are validated because of God. Information is necessary, but some things we only learn by doing. It's not always a matter of I need to know more. Actually, if I'm honest, most times in my life that I'm saying I need to know more, it's a stall tactic to do what I already know I could be obedient to, but I just don't know how it's going to work out. And Moses, our boy, is right there with us. The answer to his question is essential, though. All right, I need to know some more about this. No, you don't. You just need to know that I am is the one sending you. That's what you need to know. And then God also says to Moses, he's going to address him because he's paralyzed by fear of how people may respond. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. Uh, Go, assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt with all those ites. And I'm going to bring you to a land flowing with milk and honey. And the elders will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. And we'll take some look at what that looks like next week. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptian and all, with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards this people, so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in their house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, and you will put on your, you will put on your sons and daughters, and so you will plunder the Egyptians. Uh, this sounds a little bonkers. Right? Like, I'm going to rescue you out, and you're going to go to elders, tell them that you met with, uh, that in a burning bush, uh, you met with the God of their fathers. And you can see Moses be like, wait a second. They're going to be like, what bush were you smoking, Moses? Right? Like, come on now. You saw a smoking bush, and that's what's going to tell us, okay. But they're going to listen to you. And then I want you all to go to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, the one who reigns and rules over all this, right? The most fearsome man personified. And I want you to tell him that uh, you need him to let you go worship just for three days. This starts off only with three days. Let us go worship. This wasn't a forever journey. This was three days he was supposed to ask for. But he's not going to let you go. Then I'm going to show a bunch of signs and wonders. And then he's going to let you go. And not only is he going to let you go, but he's going to send you with a ton of cash. Like everybody's just going to give you jewelry and let you go. Dress up your sons and daughters in it and head out in the desert. That's what's going to happen. But you can get, right? Sometimes we are so paralyzed by fear of how people will respond. Moses' first question was, but what if, what if they don't believe me? Like, what if, what if I go to them and I give the message that God's given me to give and they don't believe me? This is so huge for us, isn't it? Sometimes we run these narratives in our brain where we're like, all right, I know what God's called me to, but if I do that, then other people will respond this way. And then we play out all the ways that they could respond. And that fear paralyzes us, right? Instead of us being like, all right, God, I'm in. Moses feels that same fear. But here's what I love. Again, right? God is still right there with him, continuing to give him answers to these questions. As foolish as they look from a distance, this is our story, isn't it? This is so often how we approach God when he invites us into something or commands us to go. But God... What if I go 
to my neighbors and they don't wanna have spiritual conversations with me. And I feel like that's what you're calling me to do. Uh, first, I would just say this for all of us sitting here. Uh, people are far more open to talking about what you believe than you would ever imagine uh, because they all have beliefs too and they want to. Uh, people want to talk about what they believe. Somewhere along the line, we downloaded a really weird version of Christianity where we memorized a list of verses and if we didn't connect all the dots, we failed. And so we're like, ah, what if they ask me this question, the one question I don't know? It's pretty awesome. You say, I don't know, but let's meet up again and I'll help you with it. Then you've got two conversations. You just multiplied your opportunity. It's really amazing. Uh, it's okay to not know everything about everything, but will we be faithful with what God's given us? I mean, many times I think we can see this for ourselves that we just get paralyzed. I don't know how they're gonna respond. God's calling me to start a missional community, right? But I don't know how the people I'm sent to will respond. I don't know how others that I'm gonna call and invite into this are gonna respond. The elders might look at me and be like, yo, you're crazy. But God's clearly spoken to them. I mean, there's a burning bush for him. That's confirmation for us. Many, if you come to me and say, hey, I saw a burning bush and this is what happened. I was out in South Mountain and this bush caught on fire. Like, I'm like, quit smoking in the woods. Like, but we're able to say, no, this is what's happening. This is what I feel. It's confirmed internally, externally. Here's what I think is taking place. Let's pray towards this together. We will absolutely do that. Don't run down the line of how other people are gonna dismiss you. Moses, our boy, keeps going though, doesn't he? Then the Lord says to him, go in verse four, Moses answered, what if they don't believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, what's in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. So Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. This is honest, right? Moses is writing down there. And yep, he ran from it. True story, that's fair. And he ran from it. And then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. I'm pretty convinced that between that period and the start of the next verse, there was a good 45-minute conversation with God. Uh, Moses knew that you don't grab a snake by the tail. Uh, about a few days ago, uh, probably last weekend, I interrupted many of your social media feeds with a picture of a snake. Uh, some of you still hate me for it. I love you. It's cool. Uh, but we came across a massive rattler out by Coombe Bluff, and it was a—I mean, it was a fat boy. And it was long, uh, the slithering looked like a diamondback. Uh, here's the one thing I know. I, we were walking along and I said, stop to uh, the one kid that hadn't yet walked by it. Um, stop. Uh, and then walked around it. But of all the things I was not going to do was grab it by the tail. And Moses, right, he's a shepherd. He knows all about asps and vipers. That asp, there's a P on the end of the asps and vipers. He knows all about these snakes out in the middle of the desert. And he's like, you do not grab that thing by the tail, right? I'm like, there was a 45-minute conversation with God. Mm, you thought I had a problem with you telling me to go back to Egypt and <laughs> grab that by the tail. Okay. Um, so he keeps reading. So Moses reached out and took this hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff. This, said the Lord, is so that they might believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Beautiful. Uh, the snake wasn't just a random thing. That was also the sign that was on the Pharaoh's crest, right? And so he's like, I can make snakes and pick them up. Like, it's not a big deal. You're not that big of a deal. It would have been an affront directly to their gods. This, said the Lord, is that they might believe that God of the fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has appeared to you. And then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So, Mark, so Moses put his hand inside his cloak and he took it out and the skin was leprosy. 
It had become as white as snow. Uh, Moses spent 40 years in a desert. He was probably a really dark-skinned brother. Um, and so when he pulled his hand out and that was white, that was really noticeable. And then he says, put it back in. And Moses put it back in. I'm sure he was freaked, right? Puts it back in and it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, if they don't believe you or pay attention to the first sign, then they may believe the second. But if they don't believe these two signs and take some water from the Nile, pour it on the dry ground, and the water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Moses says, cool, I'm in, let's go. Nope. Uh, Moses uh, begins to look at his own insufficiencies then, not the sufficiency of the one sending him. Moses says to the Lord, uh, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Basically, I have a heavy tongue. When I try talking, stuff doesn't go right. Like, like I've been there, I got 80 years under my belt. I know I'm not a good talker. Um, the Lord says to him, who gave human beings their mouths? You're gonna tell me you don't know what to say? Who made the tongue with which you say things? You're gonna tell me you don't know what to do next? Who is the one who figured out how your whole body works? Who gives, who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and I will teach you what to say. Uh, Moses points that he's heavy-tongued. I don't like public speaking. I didn't do well in that course. Uh, God, I'm not as good at speaking as so-and-so. Like that other dude in my missional community, that other lady in my missional community, they talk nonstop. Me, I'm not good at that stuff. God says, hold up a second. Who do you think made you? I know you, I know your past, I know your limitations, and I am still selecting you to send as my ambassador. The power is in the message. Uh, the power is a person transformed by grace. The power is in me, it's not in you. And then Moses gets super honest, right? And Moses says again, pardon your servant, Lord, please send someone else. Verse 14, then the Lord's anger burned against Moses and he took his smallest finger and he flicked Moses to eternity and he went in a fiery ball and nobody ever questioned God again. Amen. Selah. It's over. No, what does it say? Uh, what about your brother, Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you and he will be glad to see you. God's anger doesn't incinerate Moses. He gives him a teammate and sends him anyway. What kind of amazing grace is that? God's anger burns, and so he gives him a teammate. He gives him community to do it with. He gives him one who's good in that part where he's not good and sends them out together. This next slide, here's what I want you to do. We're not going to go to uh, dialogue groups or anything like that. This is all six of those in a row. And I'm going to give us 60 seconds of silence. Ask the Spirit if he wants to highlight one for you. From the story of Moses, maybe God is speaking to us. From God's interaction that's gracious, that's kind, that's consistently inviting into this new space, that says we have work to do and it's bigger than you, but I'm going with you. I know you have limitations, but I do not, so let's go. I know at the end of the day, you just don't wanna do this, but I know it's actually better for you and I want you to do it with me.
so what does this mean for us? Like I said, God, there's not a direct correlation. He's probably not going to call you to lead the Israelites out of Egypt and give you the cool staff trick. Though if you get it, we'll watch. But I think he is consistently and constantly inviting us into spaces that we feel uncomfortable and want to push back because we're uncertain about what happens next. And that's true whether you're in junior high, whether you're in elementary school, whether you're in high school, whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you have kids, whether you have no kids, whether you're estranged from your spouse, whether you guys have a happy little marriage going on, God still consistently and regularly invites us into spaces that he knows are for our good and for his glory. And our consistent response is often to keep him at an arm's distance because we don't know how that one works out. Moses' story is going to unpack. He's about to see this massive display of God going one-on-one with the gods of Egypt and just annihilating them, going blow for blow, where he's knocking out their sun god and then the river god, right? And then the god of the dust, the earth, he turns it to flies and makes a mess of it. And for a little while, the, the magicians are able to duplicate the same things and then they can't anymore. And it stands with God alone, is about to do something powerful, which we'll learn about next week. But for this week, what's this mean for us? I'll give us two things. Uh, first, the God who goes with us is way bigger than the work that lies ahead of us. I need us to remember that. Maybe it makes sense when we're sitting in this building and we're all together and we're laughing, we're having a good time, we're learning about Jesus, that's really good. But when you go home and you're in that situation that seems so impossible, uh, when you realize your neighborhood is a bunch of individual little silos and how am I supposed to love my neighbor when I can't even get to know them? How am I supposed to love my city when it's so difficult, when everybody's behind doors or nobody wants to look me in the eye? How am I supposed to see my workplace transformed when people push away at every time I mention Jesus? Hear this, the God who goes with you is far bigger than the work that lies ahead of us. And there is a lot of work for us together as a church but would we not use those same examples that Moses used? Would we be faithful to wait God's timing, but going and pressing hard when he invites us? And the second thing, what God has done is doing in you, he wants to do through you. I, I love this. When he comes to Moses, you can almost picture it. He's like, all right, all right, what are we gonna do? Uh, I, I'm calling you. Well, uh, uh, what, um, what about me? I'm not good enough. All right, well, it's not about you anyway, it's about me. All right, so who are you? Uh, I am who I am, I'm sending you. I kind of have a heavy tongue, I can't do this. All right, who do you think made your tongue and made your body, bro? Um, it's me, and so I'm gonna send, God said, bro. And so I'm gonna send you out and I'm gonna do this. And then he's like, uh, I don't really know about that. He's like, all right, what's in your hand? I got a staff. Throw it on the ground, bam, right, snake. Grab it by the tail, 45 minute break. Um, and then he grabs it and it turns back in. He's like, all right, well, if they're not gonna believe that, let's try one other thing. Uh, what else do you have? I, I don't have anything. Cool, there's your hand. Throw it in your shirt. Throws it in his shirt, pulls it out. It's white as snow. Throw it back in. He's taking the things that Moses already has, right? Like, and then out of those two things, all right, if they don't work, you know what there's gonna be in Pharaoh's house? There's a river right out back of it. Go out back, take that river, dump some of that water, make it blood. All these things that he already had. When it comes to David a little bit longer, right? It's like, hey, what do you have in your hand? A slingshot, cool, go get a giant, right? He talks to Samson, hey, what do you got in your hand? I have a jawbone, cool. There go the Philistines. Uh, Jesus, right? Hey, what do, we got? what do we got for lunch? What do we got going on here? What can we, what can we make for all these thousands of people to eat? Uh, I got some Hot Pockets, right, and fish, right? Like I got the, the loaves and fish. What are we gonna do? I don't know, what are you gonna do? Uh, let's go, okay. We're gonna thanks, break it. What they had was more than enough for what God wanted to do. God has given gifts to us as a church. He's given us abilities. He's given us talents. He's given us resources. He has given us far more. If we will trust him with that, he will do the work. And we're all in different places of that journey. 
But what he's doing in us, he wants to do through us. If he's working on you in trust, if he's working on you in generosity, if he's working you on a healing, he wants to use that part of you in the future. Maybe even right now. Don't disdain the work he's doing in you. It's for your good and it's for his glory. We got communion available in the back. And I know we don't often uh, leave out of this place and go at the same time. Uh, but today we're gonna pretend that we are, if that sounds good. I'm gonna give us a few things to remember. Jake's gonna read the benediction to us. And then if you're a follower of Jesus uh, or you lead your family to take communion, and, and, like head to the back right out of that. And then you can like circle back and we'll pretend that we didn't just do that. But we're gonna do this as if we're leaving because the one thing that we absolutely need to do the work that God has invited us into is Jesus himself. And I don't want us to forget that. And so I want the final point to be that we are taking communion to remember he meets us at this table. If you struggle with your past, you struggle with your presence, you struggle with your inabilities or how you failed or where you messed up or what you haven't done right, uh, Moses is your boy that you look at and say, oh, if Jesus can use him, he can use me. And he absolutely does. If you struggle with sometimes it's, I don't have the experience for this, I'm not really sure how to do this, uh, there surely has to be someone better suited for this than me. Moses is your boy because God says, I'm going to teach you as we go. Let's roll. Sometimes we just don't want to go. And we can just be honest about that. God, I know clearly what you're calling me into, but I don't want to do it. The good news is that Jesus still shows up for us. And even if we never do what he's called us to do, he still absolutely loves us because of everything that he has done. Let that melt your heart. You don't have to get it right so God loves you. God loves you. And that invites us into a brand new way of life. And so like Moses, we come to the table to remember who God is. He is a generous, self-giving, empowering creator. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses. He's the God of Jesus. He's the God of the early church. He's the God of us. That is who God is. We remember what he's done at the table, that in Christ, God has done everything needed for redemption. He's done everything needed to break not just the power of the, the slavery of Egypt, but the power of death, of evil, of the curse. And in his life, death, and resurrection, we look and we rejoice and remember that he has done all all that already. He has shown up countless times in our lives. Those stories that we told about his provision by resources are just a few of even what he's done in our brief three years together where we've watched him sustain us through a pandemic, through sickness, through divorce, through hurt, through pain, through loss, through joy. He has done that not just in the past, but he's done it with us. And he's still with us. And the last thing, when we go to the table, we remember that what God will do is just as certain as what he has done. Paul says that as long as you eat this bread and drink this wine, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns again. It's his way of saying we stand between this. We look back and see all that he has done. We look around and see all that he is doing. And we look forward and know that one day he will come and he will restore and reconcile and bring life again in its whole sense here on this planet and for all who have bowed their knees to King Jesus. And that is just as certain as all that we look back and wonder that he's done at the cross and in his resurrection. 
what he will do is just as certain as all those events that we look back and say he has done. It was for Moses. We look back on Moses' whole life and be like, oh, all those things that you said, true, 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 very true, true. Okay, it's not just three days, it's the rest of your life. Right? Like, you're going to be rescued out of here. Done. I'm going to do signs. Done. Really cool signs. Done. Really awful things are going to happen. Yep, because he rebelled against me. Yep, that's going to happen. I'm going to bring you out. Rescue. Yep. But that jewelry piece, no way that's real. Yep. Here you go. Take jewelry. We have tons of favor on you. We actually, like the people of Israel, Egypt, were actually had favor on the Israelites. They liked them. It was Pharaoh that didn't. And they say, here, take all this jewelry with you. And they literally dress their kids up in all the wealthy people's stuff on their way out of town. Not to mention the Red Sea, everything else that's going to take place. Beautiful. Moses didn't know that when he had to say yes. Just like we don't know when we have to say yes. But believe this, God will absolutely be with you just as he was with them. Jake, I'm going to pray, and then can you read that and send us? Jesus, you are here in our midst. We don't talk about you as if you're absent. And so I pray for my sisters and my brothers that you would continue to do the work that you have done uh, from the creation and that you won't con- you'll continue into new creation. Would you make our hearts new? Would you give us faith? Would you be gentle and kind as you deal with us in our questions, confusion, and even our rebellion? But God, would you melt our hearts? Let them never be like Pharaoh's who stays hard. But would our hearts be melted for the things that you have for us? Would they be melted because we realize that we don't just work for you, we get to work with you, that you're present with Moses even when he hasn't done anything yet, you're still taking all this time with him? Would we realize that you're a God who delights with us because of Jesus? And as we go to the table, would we be aware of who you are, what you've done, and would, in different places in our hearts, would we be fixed on the reality that there's still more for us to do? We get to work with you. You're inviting us. You're sending us. And yes, at times, even commanding us. But we never go alone. We go with you, Emmanuel, God with us. We go with each other. And we go in the power of the Spirit. Ask us in your name, Jesus, and by the power of that same Spirit. Amen. Missy Mesa, would you put out your hands to receive this benediction? Having been reminded of the hope that we have in Jesus and his undeniable victory over the powers that oppress his creation, may your hearts be filled with courage and your hands empowered for the tasks that we are given this week. Remember with joy that you have been blessed to be a blessing. God's very spirit is with you, his resurrection power in you, and his love is moving through you. Receive these words as a final good word spoken over you. Our hope for a new creation is not tied to what humans can do, for we believe that one day every challenge to God's rule will be crushed. His kingdom will fully come, and the Lord will rule. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Go now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.